Please be seated. Roger, thank you uh, for your kind words. The uh, best advice I ever received about public speaking, and I'm not nearly as polished as I would like to be, but, but thank you. But someone once told me that uh, I'll never sound as nervous to the audience as I do to myself. And I don't know how I sound to you, but I'm, I'm really nervous uh, this morning. I'm, I'm usually nervous most of the time. The other thing I tell myself, and I think you'll relate to this one, is I, when, when I haven't preached a sermon that I was pleased with and I just don't feel good about, I, I tell myself the same thing that I used to tell myself when pitching and I walked the bases loaded and then give up a grand slam and the coach would come out and send me to the showers. I'd always tell myself, my mother still loves me. <laughs> That's the truth. Nothing, not a more lonely feeling to me than being yanked from the pitcher's mound and being sent uh, to the showers. And Glenn, do you realize with your reading of Acts chapter 20 and verse 7, you have given me permission this morning to preach until midnight. So if I go a little longer, it's Glenn's fault uh, this morning. Thank you, brother, for your uh, inspiring words uh, as well this morning. The Talmud recounts an interesting story that occurred soon after the temple in Jerusalem was completely destroyed by the Roman general Titus in AD 70. Once, Rabbi Yohanan Ben Zakkai left Jerusalem. And Rabbi Yahashua followed after him. And he saw the holy temple destroyed. Rabbi Yahashua said, Woe to us, for this is destroyed. The place where all of Israel's sins are forgiven. Rabbi Yohanan answered, My son, do not be distressed. For we have a form of atonement just like it. And what is it? Acts of mercy. Hesed. As it says, and then he quotes Hosea 6.6. 6, For I desire mercy. Hesed. Not a well-being sacrifice. This morning we continue our series of sermons from the minor prophet Micah. We have reached chapter 6, and I have been waiting very patiently to get to chapter 6, because chapter 6 contains the verse that is most quoted from the book of Micah. And it's chapter 6 and verse 8. And I'd really like to go there right now. But we've got to do some other things before we get uh, to, that, to that particular uh, verse. As we continue this morning, I also want to share a quote from Yale theologian Miroslav Volf. He says this, The more you seek justice, 
the more you realize it always remains outside your grasp. Hence, figures like Augustine and Jonathan Edwards believed that if the world is to be enjoyed, it must be enjoyed in God. And if justice is to be realized, it must be granted to us with the gift of God's new world. Without God, our hopes and we ourselves will remain diminished. I appreciate those words because those words sound a lot like our vision, Restore All Things, where we are challenged as God's people at this place in our community and beyond to help people who are marginalized in our community, who perhaps are less fortunate than we are, to experience a little heaven on earth. And that is the message of our text today from Micah chapter 6, verses 1 through 16. So if you brought your Bible this morning, turn to Micah chapter 6. And I've divided uh, these 16 verses into four sections. And chapter 6 begins with God summoning his people to the witness stand. He has a case against his people. Now, his accusations will not be listed until we get to verses 9 through 12. But he begins with his own defense and reminding his people just how good he has been to them. Listen to what the Lord says. Stand up. Plead my case before the mountains. Let the hills hear what you have to say. Hear, you mountains, the Lord's accusation. Listen, you everlasting foundations of the earth. For the Lord has a case against his people. He is lodging a charge against Israel. My people, what have I done to you? How have I burdened you? Answer me. I brought you up out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you, also Aaron and Miram. My people remember what Balak, king of Moab, plotted and what Balaam, son of Beor, answered. Remember your journey from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. So again, picture, if you will, what Micah is writing. God has called his people to court. And God has placed them on the witness stand. And he begins his case against them. And he reminds them of his goodness. And he reminds them of everything in their past history that he has done for them. And so as his case continues in verse 6, we then read what God expects of his people. 
And an imaginary defendant asks several questions before God. And we'll see in asking these questions, there is an intensification with what a person can give to the Lord. And so this defendant is building his own case in order to answer God. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? And now Micah responds with what the Lord expects. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Now, we're going to come back to verse 8 in just a moment. But we have reached verse 9, and now God finally identifies the charges that he is bringing against his people. Listen, the Lord is calling to the city, and to fear your name is wisdom. Heed the rod and the one who appointed it. Am I still to forget your ill-gotten treasures, you wicked house, and the short ephah, which is accursed? Shall I acquit someone with dishonest scales, with a bag of false weights? Your rich people are violent, your inhabitants are liars, and their tongues speak deceitfully. So when we go back and we look at these verses, we see that God now identifies the charges that he is bringing against his people. They have rejected his name. They have shunned his discipline. Their culture, their society, their uh, city is uh, ransacked with, with dishonesty, a lack of integrity. And so God identifies these charges against his people. And so chapter 6 concludes with what God is then moved to do. Punishment, judgment. And as we've seen previously in Micah's message, ultimately captivity. Therefore, I have begun to destroy you, to ruin you because of your sins. You will eat but not be satisfied. Your stomach will still be empty. You will store up but save nothing because what you save I will give to the sword. You will plant but not harvest. You will press olives but not use the oil. You will crush grapes but not drink the wine. You have observed the statutes of Omri and the practices of Ahab's house. And you have followed their traditions." Therefore, I will give you over to ruin and your people to derision, and you will bear the scorn of the nations. Let's go back to verse 8. Again, probably the most quoted text in the entire book of Micah. And one of the most quoted texts in all of the Old Testament 
along with Hosea 6 and verse 6 that uh, Jesus quoted in Matthew 12 and that the ancient Jewish rabbi quoted in the Talmud, uh, a text that really challenges God's people in how we respond to those in our community, to those in our culture, again, who are on the margins, uh, the ones that we typically don't want to associate with. Those who, again, are, are less fortunate. In this text, this, this isn't original with me, but this text is often referred to as the Micah Mandate. And in this verse, God outlines three very basic, we would even say simple Things that God, again, expects of his people. Simple to understand, but very hard and difficult they are to apply. So let's talk for just a moment about each one of these three things. First of all, Micah says to act justly. The word translated justice there in most of our uh, English translations uh, is often paired with righteousness. It simply means to do the right thing in every single circumstance. And, and notice the verb act, act justly. It is something you do. The verb there, act, could also be translated as work. Work justice in your life. Make justice in your life. Live your life in such a way that you produce justice. Doing what is right. Whether anyone's looking or not. Because remember, God is. The second thing that God expects from his people is to love mercy. Love here is commanded. And so love can be spoken of in the language of obedience. It is a, it is a matter of spiritual commitment. It is true love, not false. It is constant love, not Choosy. It is unconditional, not conditional. And what is it that we are to be committed to? What is it that we are to love? Mercy, or my favorite Hebrew word, hesed. Linguistic scholars are beginning to believe that there is no cognate of this Hebrew word in any other language in the world. I mean, that's how difficult it is to translate this word and the concepts associated with it into any other language, much less English. It can be translated as kindness. It can be translated as love. It can be translated as loyalty. Uh, the primary uh, idea here is faithfulness in relationships. And why its true meaning is found within God himself over and over and over in the Old Testament. 
God is spoken of as being a God of Hesed. He is covenantly faithful to his people. He is kind to his people. There is a steadfast love that God has for his people. And we, ta- we are to love that same kind of loyalty and steadfastness in our own lives today. So if practicing justice is something one does, loving mercy is something one is. Being the latter, that is, loving mercy, will certainly result in the former, that is, to act justly. But there is a third thing uh, that Micah mentions, and that is to walk humbly with God. We might say that walking is the most common daily activity we do. And so to walk along with someone would imply a relationship. It would imply going in the same direction. And so we are to walk on a daily basis with God, our creator. The word trend translated humbly, is also a difficult word to translate into English. In fact, one word study suggests that humbly has embedded within its meaning the sense of walking cautiously with God, carefully with God, to be very thoughtful in our daily relationship with him, uh, to do so in a very wise manner. So having called his people to the witness stand and having accused his people of several things, God is quite clear in Micah 6 and verse 8 what he expects of his people, three things that God seeks. The first two, you may have noticed, are oriented toward a human ethic, particularly emphasize our relationship with one another and particularly other people. The third provides the foundation. It begins with walking very wisely, very humbly, very thoughtfully with God. And one of the lessons that is being emphasized here by Micah, the same lesson that Hosea 6.6 is making, the same lesson that Jesus in Matthew 12, he quotes that verse in Matthew 9, he implies that verse in Matthew 15, ethical behavior is far more important to God than the mechanics of sacrificial rites. I mean, we can just go through the motions of worship, and yet our hearts be far from God, and ethically, worship has had no impact upon us if we mistreat one another and we mistreat those around us. And so quite often throughout the prophetic scriptures, the prophetic books of the Old Testament, you know, God will uh, criticize the worship of his people 
because it's had no effect upon them. They continue to mistreat one another. They continue to be dishonest. They continue to take advantage of the poor. And so again, worship should be the foundation. It should be the motivational factor to then go out and do what is right. And we see in other New Testament verses this this lesson being taught. Uh, Matthew chapter 7 and verse 12. Uh, a verse that I, we, we all can quote uh, before, as I like to say, before Jesus offers the invitation to the Sermon on the Mount. His concluding point is chapter 7 and verse 12, where he recites what we call the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. He says, because all of the law and the prophets are summarized with that point. We could go to a text like Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through uh, 34, uh, a text that Scott McKnight refers to as the Jesus Creed. Uh, A lawyer, a scribe, an expert in in Jewish teaching approaches Jesus and asks him, what is the most important uh, commandment in all of the law? And you remember how Jesus responds with Deuteronomy 6. He says, you're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and another is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So again, loving God, walking humbly with God, walking very cautiously with God, provides the foundation, the motivation, um, the impetus to then move out and to love our fellow man. In our uh, study of Proverbs in, in my class Wednesday night, we mentioned James chapter 1 and verse 27. There, James says, pure and undefiled religion is this, to visit the widows and the orphans in their time of need and distress and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. So how do we apply the Micah mandate to our lives today? I want to suggest four things. The first is is more of a community challenge. Something that as a community, as as a church family, we can uh, particularly devote ourselves to. And that is to create a tove culture. Now what do I mean by a tove culture? Go back to verse 8. Micah says, he has shown you, O mortal, what is good. What is good. The Hebrew word translated good is tov. T-O-V. Very very simple word. It's one I can actually pronounce. One that you can. And when you look at Scripture... Think of how often you hear the word good. What what did God say at the end of each day of creation? It is good. You go to a text like Psalm 37 and verse 3. The psalmist uh, writer there says, Trust the Lord and do Good. Do tove. 
You come to the New Testament. Jesus one time is approached and Jesus says, you know, there's really only one who is good. And of course, he's referencing our Heavenly Father. And so to understand a Tov culture, it begins with God. Again, walking very humbly, very cautiously with our Lord. That is the foundation. Peter, I think, picks up on this. In 1 Peter, there, he actually uses a couple, uh, two uh, Greek words that can be translated as uh, good. And I think combined, uh, the word uh, good uh, is found eight, nine, ten times. But over and over through his five chapters in 1 Peter, he challenges us to be good, to do good. And so what, what would a Tove culture look like? Well, it means that once we enter these walls, say on a Sunday morning, there, there is an anticipation that we are going to treat each other right. I think it would mean that we enter this place with an expectation that as we worship together, as we glorify our God vertically, we are edifying and encouraging one another horizontally. And it's a place we look forward to coming. You know, sociologists talk about a third place in every person's life. There is your home, there is your work, and then there is, there is a third place. It might be a coffee shop. It might be the gym. It, it might be the lake. It, it's somewhere, a third place in a person's life where they can feel refreshed, where they can relax, where they can be themselves where they can uh, relax just a little bit with other people. Wouldn't it be cool to think that this place could be our third place? Because we know we're going to be accepted. We know we're going to be treated with kindness and respect. And, and we are challenged to offer the same kind of kindness, the same kind of goodness to those that, that we come in contact with here at this place. So, so collectively, as a church, let's, let's be committed to making the Lamar Avenue Church of Christ in Paris, Texas, the second largest Paris in the world, a good place to go to. And if we can create that culture, won't people be attracted to that? You don't always see a lot of goodness in society. And, and it might even, it might even encourage us to be a little more willing to invite people to come and visit with us. Let's create a Tove culture. Number two, now, now we're talking a little more individually. Just commit, just commit a random act of kindness this week. It's, it's not something you plan for. It's, it's, but, but there is an anticipation of, of God working in your life to where you might have opportunity to just be kind, to, to practice hesed. 
And so maybe it is, you're at Walmart. You only have two things in your basket. And the person uh, behind you, uh, no, no, I, I got that wrong. You may have 22 things in your basket, and the person behind you only has two. And even though you've already waited, 40 checkout stands and only two open, and you've already had the red light beep on the self-check on four different ones, so you need some help, let that person go in front. Or, or you're, you're, you're somewhere just opening a door for someone. You, you see a piece of trash blowing along the, the sidewalk. Pick it up and put it where it's supposed to be. J just committing these random acts of kindness. Here, here's my favorite one. Just smile. Smile at somebody. You know, I mentioned, I mentioned in Sunday morning Bible class a couple weeks ago, I see your faces when I'm up here. And some of us, some of us have yes faces and some of us don't. Create a yes face. Just, just smile a little bit. You know, let the person next to you think at least you're glad to be here or wherever else you might be, you know. Tip the server an extra dollar. Just commit a random act of kindness. That's practicing hesed. That's helping to fulfill the Micah mandate. Number three, volunteer. Volunteer. It could be where your child goes to school. It may be at your place of employment, uh, some project that uh, uh, is community project that your business or your company, your, your place of employment might be involved in. It might be here. You could volunteer here. You, you could volunteer to help in our children's program. Right, Jared? You ever need any volunteers? All the time. All the time. It, it could be to volunteer. You know, one, one of the unsung groups at this church are, is the, are the individuals who open the door for people. I mean, is that not a service? In greeting people, they have yes faces. They have yes faces. Parking cars, uh, Alan uh, Beeler and his crew, they, they could use some volunteers. Just look for ways. James, last key, could you use volunteer every once in a while? Yeah, just volunteer for something. By volunteering, we are fulfilling the Micah mandate by doing what is right. And as God is our foundation, helping people experience a little heaven on earth. Number four. Become involved in a cause. Become involved in a cause. You can do that, again, at this place. Some of us are a part of a life group. And if you're a part of a life group, 
you can be involved in a cause. If you're not a part of a life group, you can join a life group and also be involved in a cause. Now, we, we have been working, uh, Stephen Gerald primarily, uh, has been in dialogue with our elders. And we're going we're gonna to conclude our study of Micah next Sunday. And at the conclusion of that sermon, something really cool is going to happen. This, so this is the teaser. This is the teaser. If you're in a life group, you may hear about a little bit about this uh, tonight. So you're going to have to come back next Sunday just, just to, to experience what's going to happen. But we're going to be challenged to go out into our community and just be Jesus. It's, it's, it's related to that pay it forward concept. And for, for example, you might be surprised I follow Starbucks on Twitter. Every once in a while you get a free cup of coffee out of it. And so yesterday... Uh, might have been Friday. I'm, I'm looking at on Twitter, just spending a little time on social media, and I notice that someone has thanked the person uh, in front of them at Starbucks who had paid for their drink. So, guess what this person did? Paid for the drink behind them. This happened to me at uh, Oklahoma City one time. I, I went through my Starbucks and, you know, the same thing, uh, Venti Dark Roast. Uh, in Oklahoma City, it was $271. Every, every Monday morning, every Tuesday morning, $271. So I get up to pay for mine, and the barista says, someone else has already paid for your drink. I said, well, that's cool. Let me pay for the car behind me. And she said, are you sure? <laughs> and I said, well... What what are what are you talk what are we talking here? And she said, eleven fifty-four. And I said, sure. Boom. There you go. Right. Uh, but 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 again, just join a cause. Because our, our and, and, and if you're not in a life group, get in a life group. And if you're in a life group, be excited about the opportunity that we are going to be challenged to do. Kind of collectively at a church to go out in this community and just be Jesus and, and, and to do some things that will blow this community away. I, I have experienced in, in some things like this uh, in the past at some other churches, not to this degree, not to the degree that our elders have authorized for us to do. And they need to be commended on this. And see, you're going to be here next week, right? All right? Pretty polished, Roger. Pretty polished right there. Right. For, for example, one, one time in Edmond, there was a group of us, we, we were kind of challenged to be out in, in the community more. So here's what we did. It was nearly April 15th. Everybody know what April 15th is? Yeah, you got to have your tax stamped before midnight. And so we chose a post office in Edmond. And we, we made arrangements with the post office. We, we spent, uh, uh, seemed like $200 to buy a bunch of stamps. 
and we had bottled waters and soft drinks, and we showed up about mid-morning. The line is already out the door, and we just put stamps on everybody's envelope and gave them a drink and a little, little card that said, Westwood Church of Christ, Danforth Road, Edmond, Oklahoma. Right. And j- just tried to pay it forward a little bit. Right. Now, I can't tell you that we baptized 800 because of that. We didn't. We didn't. But did it make an impact in that community for the Lord? Absolutely it did. We did have some people come and and visit with us and commend us. And we got thank you cards and thank you notes. So so the opportunity is going to be there for us next week. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm excited about it. Stephen's excited about it. Our elders are excited about it. And it's, it's going to be fun, right? And, and you know, sometimes we don't think of our Christianity as fun. Maybe we should more. I mean, it's, it's a joy to be a part of the Lord's family. Amen? I mean, the whole, the whole book of Philippians is about joy and about happiness. And when Paul wrote that, he was probably in prison. And and sometimes I look at us and I think, wow, are we in prison? No, let's let's live our lives in in a joyful kind of way. Creating a good culture and being willing to just commit random acts of kindness. And, and volunteering so that, so that there's never a shortage for work here and ministries here at Lamar Avenue. And, and joining a cause, whether it's here or out in the community. You know, we need to scatter like a cubby of quail into our community and be involved in PTAs and PTOs and PT what else and, I, you know, uh, Little League Baseball. I'm going to be involved in Little League Baseball this spring. Can't wait. Can't wait. And, and other opportunities. have a letter on my desk that I got this morning. It must have come in late Friday or something. An opportunity to be involved Wednesday in this community, and I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. All right. and, and so taking advantage of all those opportunities. The Micah mandate is the good the prophet says. It's the right and proper way to live, to act justly, a life of social obligation, to love mercy, to live a life of benevolence, and to walk humbly with our God, to live a life of worship before Him. So, church, what will be our response to this mandate? to this opportunity that we have just to go out into our community and beyond and be again what Jesus says we are, the light of the world and the salt of the earth. Let's stand and sing.